Welcome to the 377th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Florida, welcome and thank you for listening. Well, my running streak ended right after I recorded the last podcast. Um, toe update. Caught my toe on the dishwasher molding. Uh, you'll have to listen to the last podcast for the nitty-gritty details. Thought it was going to be all right. Um, turns out it was broken. Not dislocated. And the podiatrist actually said that wasn't too bad. So according to if I could get the swelling out, uh, no real restriction. So I've been soaking and massaging and all those kind of things and still kind of swollen. However, I did resume running this week. So I resumed running on Tuesday. Monday, I went to the pool and swam. Didn't feel too bad. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I've been running and up at it. Um, start out with a mile and a half and a little bit further. And today I did 3.7 miles. Not too bad. The only shoes that are comfortable are my Newton road shoes. Um, give my little toe enough breathing room and nothing folds in on it. So it's uh, pretty comfortable. So I'm out for this weekend's 50 miler in Huntsville, Alabama, the Hoka 50. Uh, I believe I'll be in, unless I do something else stupid, for the Treasure Coast Marathon, March the 4th. So I'll be taking the plant-based striders and running alongside of our group. Uh, Again, if you'd like to join us, come on down. And then uh, we decided, well, you know, still trained. It felt like I was in pretty good shape. So let's sign up for a 50-miler in April. So April 9th, we have one on on the books. So we'll see how that goes. So this race is called Brazos Bend 50 in Texas, just west of Houston. It's a pretty flat trail course, so that's better. It's going to be in April, so it's warmer, plus minus. If it's real warm, that becomes a little bit of issue. The thing that's a little bit tricky about this 50-miler is because it's next to Houston and because it's warmer, it is in alligator country. So I've never really been a friend of reptiles. Um, you know, when we talk about our stories, my reptile story started when I was little with a snake on the carport and my mother freaking out, and then a copperhead when I was riding my little bike at my grandmother's and neighbor having to save us from the copperhead. And, you know, don't touch snakes. My mother was always afraid of snakes, so I hated snakes. I had nightmares about snakes as a little kid. We had a cottage in the mountains where there were rattlesnakes. I saw one when I was riding my mini bike, scared me to death, you know, went the other direction. So I was always afraid of, you know, death by, we had a rattlesnake kit growing up. So if you got bit, you could make an incision and suck out the venom while you were trying to get an hour down the mountain to a hospital. So obviously that's not what you wanted to do. And I was always allergic to bee stings. So I assumed that I'd have the worst outcome if I got bit by a reptile. So you can see where I'm going with this. I'm never was so crazy about reptiles. And of course, we moved to Florida, and I learned more about alligators um, running. I started actually running when I was in Florida for any distance, and I ran in the neighborhood. And I'd run in the morning before my daughter got up, and um, I was running one spring, and I heard this big roomp, roomp, and I thought they were um, bullfrogs. And I don't really mind frogs, and I don't mind lizards, so I guess those reptiles are okay. But snakes, no. Alligators, didn't have much experience with. Well, 
I was in the office and I was talking to one of my patients about, man, the frogs down here in Florida are really big. These bullfrogs must be huge because I hear this big romp, romp. And he said, sweetheart, that's not a bullfrog. That's an alligator and it's alligator mating season and you better beware. Well, I lived on the golf course at this time, and so there are all these little lakes, you know, from hole to hole, and so the alligators had to cross over to get from one lake to the other, and the road that I ran on was in between the lakes, and one morning I looked up, and there was actually an alligator sitting in a driveway. There was an alligator one morning under my parents' neighbor's car in their garage, So there, and there was an alligator in the, in the lake near our house that we had to have moved, relocated. So I just uh, was a little bit leery about alligators. And after that, I actually got a treadmill. And I ran for a long time on the treadmill, uh, training for my first marathon, actually, on a treadmill, for the most part, or running during the day where I could see the alligators instead of running at night. So um, I've done a triathlon in a lake um, where after the, the triathlon was over, I saw an alligator in the lake that we had been swimming in and the little lake across the road that was very near that one and I was told that uh, don't be first don't be last and don't go too wide when you're swimming and you'll be fine and so I've always tried to stay in the pack and not be too far away we did a little trail running down in Florida here when we were first started doing some trail races and of course we went out in the summertime when it's really murky and the water there was a lot of water on the course and you know we were running with our you know, you'd go run through waters that was up over your ankles, and I just kept thinking, I wonder what's in the water that I can't see, because you couldn't see, it was all muddy, and I, I was worried about alligators the whole time we were out running a five, six mile loop, only to get out, you know, in the open a little bit, thinking I'm okay, and then all of a sudden, a bunch of alligators jumped in the water on this canal, and they were baby alligators, but um, baby alligators are um, notoriously near their mother and mother alligators are very protective over their babies so again you know i have a really good respect every year there's some sort of story where somebody falls in a canal and has an alligator incident you know they have to open the alligator to find the person the arm the whatever so you know there are some alligator stories down here where alligators seem to be somewhat aggressive and so I got to kind of get over that for this this um, race because it does start in the dark. And I heard somebody describe how they're running and they see uh, very yellow eyes in the distance, and it kind of creeped them out. The people that were doing hundred milers, and so yeah, I got a little bit of um, uh, I got a little bit of work to do on my alligator. So I thought I'd, I'd give you a little alligator update. Um, you know, I'm trying to get past um, all this with the alligators, and of course, you know, I always think about. You know, you never hear about anybody getting eaten in this race, you know, or, or, you know, having any kind of alligator trauma. So it's probably pretty rare. Mississippi has the largest um, uh, gator population. Uh, alligators are the largest reptile in North America. Um, they were once in danger, but they're not now. There's actually about a million alligators in the continental United States. Interesting, alligators have 74 to 80 teeth, and they get more teeth. So teeth fall out, and then as they get older, they get teeth. And they may have over a 2,000 teeth in their lifetime. Just think if humans figured that out. You know, um, it, it's kind of funny with evolution that, you know, if we have, our, we have a reptilian brain, but we didn't get their dental prowess. So, um, you know, I would have put dentists out of work if 
You know, I had more than 2,000 teeth. Who needs to brush your teeth? You're just going to get more, right? Um, they continued to grow throughout their lifetime and reached um, up to 15 feet or 1,000 pounds. People think they're slow and sluggish, and I know that's not true because I've seen an alligator run. They can either crawl on their belly or get up and stand, you know, like kind of stretch their legs up so they're off the ground. And when they're off the ground, they can move up to 30 miles an hour for periods of time. I can't run that fast. Um, so they have a place. They have a role uh, in the ecosystem. Um, alligators are, for the most part, eat carnivores. Um, they're even they're pretty smart. They'll even put uh, twigs and stuff on their head so a bird thinks that they might be nesting material and they'll grab it and eat the bird. I'm not going to run with a nest on my head, that's for sure. But they also have been uh, eat citrus and other um, vegetables on occasion if need be. And they're said to have spread citrus and other fruit seeds. So they're like, uh, you know, Johnny Appleseed, so Johnny Alligator. Um, spreading orange trees over plantations. Wikipedia says they're more afraid of humans. And um, I, I'm hoping that's true. Um, you know, I, I, I think that um, perhaps it's uh, equal right now. But they do make hissing sounds, so they'd rather you not bother them. So if I can pay attention and watch for their yellow eyes, and, and if you see them in front of you, you should stop and give them a chance to go away, and typically they will. Um, but I won't be going in front of them if they don't. So my strategy will be let the alligators cross and, and have their way, even if I probably have to run back the other direction 50 miles I might. <laughs> So we'll we'll see, but I'm going to keep working on my alligator uh, my my alligator uh, phobia as we go. So on to the into the next topic. I am, you know, I, I told you last time, you know, I'm taking this all in stride, and I've been doing a lot of strength training. And uh, again, I get went to the pool, and that's all good. Uh, working on my mobility, so I'm very happy about that. So everything's going good, and I've managed to. Uh, maintain a positive outlook on my uh, little toe, and everybody's been very supportive, so I, I thank everybody for that. I've been wearing my uh, running shoes, Escalantes, that give me a lot of room to work, so not fashionable, but um, pretty comfortable. So I was, I was talking about, uh, or I was actually reading a little bit, and, um, you know, there are places where there are food deserts, uh, where typically inner cities... Um, or you know, bad parts, bad neighborhoods, or out in the country where they're, and a lot of times food or um, Dollar General or the Dollar Tree will move in, and there's a lot of cheap food, um, but not a lot of produce. And a lot of times people uh, will eat and get a lot of their food from convenience stores, and obviously there's not much way in healthy food in those places. And so that's called a food desert, and people. Um, can get calories, but they don't get nutrients, so it results in a lot of obesity. You know, back in the 40s, 50s, um, when there wasn't much food and people were poor, they tended to be thin, but now people tend to be heavy that have um, poor access to good, nutritious fruits and vegetables. And that's somewhat, um, you know, um, associate with food insecurity. So people may get their food meals from fast foods or convenience stores or such. But then there's also a, a thing as far as people use food when they get nervous 
or when they get sad, or when they get, obviously we use food, and we get happy to celebrate. And a lot of times people stress eat. And stress eating tends to occur not when people are stressed inside, but stressed from outside their environment. So someone or something stresses them, and they retreat, and they eat what is called, to them, comfort foods or some quick fix. And a lot of people will say that when people stress eat or eat, go for comfort foods, it is a form of having control. So it may be, in that person's life, the only time they get to choose. And they're in control of what they eat. You can't tell me what to eat. I have control over this. And so it brings some immediate comfort, uh, perhaps a dopamine, serotonin surge with something salty or sugary, but it also gives them back a sense of control um, and uh, that can result in obviously just as big a problems as not having access to good food at all. And really this aspect is probably just as common as not having access to good nutrients, but again results in similar health issues. So the question would be if you're having trouble with stress and stress eating and going to comfort foods, why not refocus that and change that into a control over your health as opposed to your food choices, but a control to choose what you choose for your health and well-being. And I think sometimes that comes back to people don't feel worthy of good health or worthy of being um, thin or worthy of being fit. And so I think the first step is to um, help people understand that, yeah, every, every human being is worthy and every human being des deserves to have nutrient-dense, healthy foods, and everybody gets to have a choice. I talk a lot about choices um, when they choose their food and use that control or use that desire to have control to, to make more healthy choices. And a kind of a me first. Um, I think that a lot of times caregivers in particularly uh, take care of everybody else and their self is last. You know, I've heard of, you know, people that, women especially, that they take care of everybody else and then they just grab what they can and run out the door. And obviously that results in a lot of grazing, a lot of overeating, perhaps a lot of not eating and binge eating. Um, and it's because they're spending all, all, a lot of times putting others first and they don't ever take care of themselves. One way around that is to make a meal time. So whether it's a meal time, and, and I particularly am a huge fan of family meal time. I think to sit down together and uh, we've always been a family that's enjoyed sitting down and eating together and having discussions and conversations and um, looking each other in the eye no matter what was going on. So whether it was a sporting event or something else, we take time before we go, or take time after, and make the food and sit down. And then everyone has the opportunity to get a nutrient-dense, healthful meal without graze, grazing or out, without being in a hurry and time to digest. So I come, you know, I come back to, um, you know, people say, you know, why I can't do something or the excuses of why it's just not convenient or they have time or they're not worthy. Most people don't say they're not worthy, but it's really kind of in the underlying background, uh, I believe. But people that are more confident um, or determined, like, 
You know, we're coming up on the Super Bowl this weekend. People, you know, some of the quarterbacks, I can't remember who said it first, but he, you know, coined the phrase, why not me? Why not us? Um, you know, why not? Why, why don't we deserve to be healthy? Why not me? Why should I not have good food? Why shouldn't I get to choose nutrient-dense food? And I, I really like that phrase, why not me? Um, there's no reason. It, it can be you. And that's part of taking control and taking charge um, in a stressful situation. You know, when I was in medical school and there was a code uh, or something um, happening acutely to somebody, the idea would be to calm everybody else around and, and do things in a very orderly fashion to help that person the most and the most efficiently. So there were code teams and people were responsible and you know, to do whatever, but it's very very important to be calm in the setting of an emergency situation. So why not me when it applies to food choices or stressful situations? Why not me take control of the situation, slow things down, make a meal and sit down and eat it, have a menu in mind and carry out with it, take control of your life by first taking control of your food choices. And, you know, in reality, that, that's going to help people along a, a lot get into a better, you know, nutrient pattern, less salt, blood pressure goes down, heart rate goes down, improved digestion, lack of, you know, less pain. It's a win-win situation for everyone. So why not me uh, when it comes to slow things down? Now, you know, uh, why not me? I think, you know, anybody can put their health, health first or their health at least with the rest of their family. They deserve that. Um, it's the Olympics, you know. I was bob bobsledding in the luge and things like that. You know, you say, well, I want to be a luge or a bobsledder. Why not me? Uh, that might be a little bit difficult depending on the age of my audience. But, um, you know, they always, you always have the opportunity to go sled riding. Uh, why not me? Um, I don't care what age you are. You can go sled riding. I saw a video the other day of an older man that he wanted to learn to ice skate and figure skate and to, to, to ice dance, and he, and he did. Um, why not me run a first marathon? A lot of people do Ironman at a very late age, marathons at a very late age, take up running, take up dance. Why not me? Um, all of that is possible uh, rather than the reasons why I can't. I particularly like um, again, back to the Super Bowl and the ads, um, there, I assume we'll see this ad, I hope we do, um, where uh, an older gentleman is lifting cans and put his old jogging suit on, and he was basically lifting and training to go visit his grandson and to be able to take care of him. And I, and I think that's huge. And of course, it hit very hard on my heart, heartstrings because I want to be able to play with my grandson and take care of him, and that's, those are very important things. My mom trains as a great-grandmother to go visit her granddaughter and her grandson, um, and she doesn't say, I can't. She says, how, you know, why not me? Why can't I? Um, and I think that attitude is, is huge, and it also sets a good example for uh, your friends and around you. So... Why not me? I think you should. We are on the weekend before Valentine's Day. So before this next podcast will come out, there'll be Valentine's Day. Um, it is very interesting 
um, that St. Uh, Valentine's Day has been around for a long, long, long time. St. Valentine um, was um, a priest who was imprisoned uh, for ministering to Christians in Rome uh, during the Roman en Empire during the third century. And it says, it's, uh, the story has it that he restored sight to the person's jailer, the person that jailed him, his blind daughter. And when he was about to be executed, apparently he wrote her a farewell letter and signed it, Your Valentine. Uh, St. Valentine died uh, 269 A.D. And, you know, I mean, that is pretty amazing that, um, you know, a holiday as Valentine's Day that we think of as Russell Stover chocolates and little Valentines um, goes back that far. When I was in grade school, uh, you know, we made the shoebox and everybody got a Valentine and you signed one to everybody in the class and... Um, I remember my father would bring home. My dad didn't buy gifts, but on Valentine's Day, probably because he liked candy, but he would bring my mom and I home a box of chocolates. I'd get a smaller one, she'd get a bigger one. Um, I think he might have got himself one too, I don't know. But nevertheless, it was very special because it was something he did on his own for me. Um, and I think it's, you know, it has so much power um, and it states, says so much about, again, the human need for love and kindness that has kept Valentine's Day going. And as cheesy as sometimes me, people may make it, those little acts of a uh, few pieces of chocolate or a homemade cake or something for someone, a card, uh, means a lot to, to people. Um, just a happy Valentine's Day. Julia herself, who was the daughter of the Roman jailer, uh, is said to have planted a pink almond tree uh, in St. Valentine's honor. So I thought, well, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, I thought maybe, um, you know, the almond tree is now uh, supposedly a symbol of love and friendship. So I thought, I wonder about amaretta. <laughs> My mother loves amaretta, and it's kind of almond flavor, and I wonder, you know, maybe that has something to do with um, love and friendship as well, uh, because it's a sweet drink and so forth, but um, uh, amaretto means, or amor, amor, amaro, if you break it down, means bitter, um, so um, didn't quite take that far enough out, but nevertheless, um, a pink almond tree is said to be a symbol of love and friendship. I might have to get one for the backyard. I don't know if we can grow. I wait there. I think there are. Uh, there's a macad You can grow macadamia nuts uh, in Florida. I don't know if you can grow a pink almond tree, but I'll have to look into it. So when when people draw a heart, they don't typically draw it anat anatomically correct with the four chambers. Um, typically, it's drawn, you know, with the two lobules and red. And sometimes there's an arrow through it and. Uh, Shape of the heart is said to go back almost as far as St. Valentine, uh, well, not quite as far, into the 1400s anyway. Um, there was a plant called the Sylphium, uh, um, which uh, had a leaf shaped like Valentine, the new, you know, the round um, heart-shaped Valentine. Uh, it was also thought to be, a, uh, the leaf was supposed to have some contraceptive properties, so... Um, 
you know, it's hard to tell. There's a lot of different different stories around the heart, whether the the part that goes in is, you know, people's hand around the anatomically correct heart. Um, um, it was thought that uh, the Roman thinkers thought the heart is the center of all emotions, you know, um, as we say, you got to have heart, uh, heart of my hearts. Um, the soul is in your heart. Um, it really makes being a cardiologist fun um, because we have the organ that, you know, is the center of the soul, so to speak, probably is more the brain, perhaps. If you talk to Jill Bolte-Taylor, I've had on the podcast, she'll probably say the the right brain is more the seat of our emotion, but I like to think of that old heart beating as um, as long as it beats, we have the capacity for um, a connectedness be- between us. So is Valentine's Day a reason to go off the plant-based wagon and uh, indulge in all kinds of milk chocolates and decadent desserts and shrimp and lobster and prime rib and all those things that uh, actually cause heart disease? I think not. Um, I am going to make a link, uh, because I haven't done that in a long time, to a recipe for a little chocolate lava cake that I found online that contained applesauce, um, it contained maple syrup, oat flour. They called it for plant milk protein. I didn't use that cacao powder um, and some chocolate yogurt. I didn't use that. I think um, you could substitute in um, silken tofu with the cacao. I think that would make in in a little chocolate, dark 85% chocolate square on top, and you bake it for uh, about 20 minutes, and it's nice. It kind of puffs up like a, you know, decadent cake, and uh, it's in a little dish. So it's a great dessert. Um, our cookbook has, uh, you know, some, some great desserts in it as well um, for, for cake that are made without oil. Again, I think a, a dessert, I think a dinner that doesn't cause heartburn, uh, indigestion, uh, clogged arteries makes for a better evening than uh, one that uh, is, you know, all full of oil and grease and cholesterol that you have to pay for and gives you indigestion and might end up in the hospital with it. So, um, you know, I, I don't think that that's a necessary thing. So choose your Valentine's Day dinner wisely. And again, why not me? Why not be healthy? Why not love yourself? Why not love your, the people you're with? And show them by having a nice, healthy Valentine's Day dinner. So it can be done. And I also, you know, I go back to I believe that you can make food, make food together, make foods for someone is the ultimate appreciation of love. So um, to go out and let somebody else make you a poor meal and wait, I remember, you know, a few Valentine's Day that didn't go as planned, you know, ended up at, you know, some restaurant at 11 o'clock at night trying to get a seating and things not going well. So if you eat at home, you can plan your meal. Uh, You can make one of those little chocolate lava cakes uh, and have a wonderful evening and not risk you know, getting off your nutritional wagon or, or risk that precious heart of yours. And as part of that, there was a study done that I'll make a link to that looked at what's called a feasibility diet. And, you know, we have keto, paleo, Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, plant-based, and now there is a, um, I guess, flexitarian, pescatarian um, vegetarian, right? Now there is a feasibility diet. And this is a study that was out of Norway 
But what, it, what was great about this study is they looked at if you optimize fruits and vegetables and decrease animal products, processed foods. So you're going more towards, really, in reality, a plant-based diet and further away from a standard American or Western diet full of uh, oil and meat and dairy and things. What could you do to life expectancy? So they used uh, a, a model a mathematical model uh, based on life expectancy and different uh, food groups and studies. And they, they looked at how much, how much longer would you live if you were to adopt a healthier diet. Now remember, this is a feasibility diet. It's not a plant-based diet, which I'm going to say is even more healthy than the feasibility diet. But it's a but it's a good step in the right direction. Um, so if you were 20 and you started a feasibility diet, you would improve your longevity by 10 years if you were a woman and 13 years if you were a man. If you were 60 years of age, you would add 8 years if you were a woman and 8.8 if you were a man. The, the food that increased longevity the most are beans. Just by increasing bean content, decreasing animal products content, you increase two, your life expectancy 2.2 years in women and 2.5 years in men. Whole grains, you can increase your life expectancy by 2.2 years. Less red meat, you'll add 1.6 years to your uh, life if you're a woman and 1.9 if you're a man. One of the best parts of the study was even if you're 80 years old and you start a feasibility diet, not a plant-based diet, but just a feasibility diet, just think what you could do if you went a whole food plant-based, but even a feasibility diet, you get improvement in your longevity. And that's just longevity. That's not talking about health span because we have the ability to keep people alive on ventilators and with medications and doing all kinds of procedures and stents and joint replacement and all those things in chemotherapy that's not necessarily a quality of life, but a quantity of life. This is just talking about quantity of life. Just think about the quality of life if you were to adopt a plant-based lifestyle today. Today. So if you're not plant-based and you know somebody that's not eating plant-based, I met someone today that eats very little plants, even if they make that move in the right direction now in their 60s, they're going to see a substantial improvement, not only in life expectancy, but I will say in health span. So I, I think that's a really, a really, really cool thing. If you want to do some protection with your brain, there's a recent study looking at Allison, an antioxidant, uh, which protects neuroprotective. Um, it decreases cognitive impairment, decreases your... Um, decline in memory uh, and ability to think by downregulating um, um, a chemical called NADPH and decreasing uh, oxidation, and it decreases um, the reactive oxygen species. So things that are metabolic, inflammatory metabolic waste, basically it helps to get rid of, decreases neuroinflammation, uh, inhibits some other pathways that lead to brain dysfunction, um, inhibits cholinesterase and um, B12 
butyral colon esterase, which may help to help with Alzheimer's disease. It improves neurotransmitters, which may improve um, the cognitive function of people with autism and spectrum disorder. We know that people with autism also have a strong relationship with their brain-gut axis and the microbiome. Just improving what they eat will improve um, their brain function. In addition, uh, Allison, which, and I didn't tell you where it comes from or what one of the biggest things, but it's garlic. So just by increasing your garlic, you may decrease tumor growth, uh, increase the destruction of cancer cells. Um, there's also some decrease in cholesterol and glucose, decrease in platelet stickiness, blood pressure, toxins. Um, there's some antibacterial properties. Again, to garlic and like onions, onion species in general, so all kinds of onions, but garlic as well. So when you're making that Valentine's Day dinner, make sure you use lots of garlic. Then you can have the chocolate cake, maybe put some mint leaves on it. It'll be all right. But if everybody's having garlic, it'll be all right. So... Um, it is amazing. You know, people say, well, why can't I just take a garlic pill? Um, you know, there's nothing better than the real thing. And if you want to, you know, you want to make a nice, uh, uh, if, you know, you take that sourdough bread and you roast some garlic and spread some of that on top of it, it could be delicious with a pasta dinner, just saying. So that ought to help you get where you're going over Valentine's Day. And I'll make a link to the lava cake and, and those studies. If your nutrition or transition to plant-based nutrition or weight loss or diabetes control or vascular disease is not going the way you'd like it to, um, it's a process. It's a process that we get better at along the way. Uh, all of us have made um, improvements as we've transitioned. But I think it's helpful to know that simple things like adding garlic to your food or onions or eating more beans, less meat, a feasibility diet, you're going to make progress and there's no reason to throw in the towel. I think it's a good thing to assess where you are um, and give yourself credit for what you've done so far and the, and the strides that you're making. But when you give yourself credit for what you've done and how you've changed, then also keep those goals in mind, what you want and what you're really after. Is it to be able to play with your grandkids, to go on a vacation, run a marathon, do a split, just saying, do a pistol squat, just saying, um, not have pain, improve mobility, improve your life expectancy. Keep that and write that down with what you've done and reassess. The metrics of blood pressure and glucose and weight are metrics meant to give feedback and reassess and then redirect. They're not failure metrics. They're not that you're bad or you haven't, you know, you have no control or you have no willpower, but it's an opportunity to redirect and um, make choices and, and take control uh, of your own situation. So I, I uh, give yourself a break. Give your Valentine a break. If you don't have a Valentine, you can be my Valentine. Um, I appreciate everybody that listens. And I do believe that the heart is 
where it's at, and uh, it's the heart of hearts and, and heart of the matter and um, the seat of the soul. And we all have the ability to um, do great things. Why not me? So if you'd like to learn more about our practice, go on over to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y, and check out what we have to offer in our practice. We have a full-time registered dietitian, Annie Delaney Myrich. We have Zoom classes, Zoom nutrition classes, lots of recipes, lots of things going on online, wellness, mobility. Um, you can sign up for our newsletter. We give a recipe and some tips every month. You can check out our cookbook. You can get it really quick. It's even on uh, the Kindle version, so you can get it really quick so you can make a good Valentine's Day dinner. I'll make links to what I talked about. And uh, I wish each and every one of you a happy Valentine's Day, but more than that, a happy and healthy um, 2022 and on into the future and a very long health span as well as increased longevity. Thank you for listening. Heart of my heart, I love that melody. Heart of my heart, bring back the memory. We were kids on the corner of the street. We were rough and ready guys, but oh, how we could harmonize. Heart of my heart, means friends were dear then. Too bad we had to part I know a tear would glisten If only I could listen To everybody singing Heart of my heart Everybody now, come on! Heart of my heart I love that melody Hey! Heart of my heart Brings back no memory we were kids on the corner of the street. You know that we were rough and ready. Everybody! But oh, how we could harmonize. Heart of my heart. Means friends were dearer than. Too bad we had to part. I know a tear would glisten. If only I could listen. Everybody singing, heart of my 